If you're new here, uh, we actually love children, uh, just so you know. How many of you love your enemies? Okay. Uh, <laughs> that's the test. Just, just making sure you guys are ready for this. Open your Bibles to Luke chapter 6. We're going to look at verses 27 to 36. And while you're turning, um, like to just give a personal testimony since we're going to be talking about enemies the title of our message today is Responding in Love Toward Our Enemies. If you got the home fellowship questions, there's some more in back. We also have an outline so you can test me, make sure I'm staying on track. Um, we're going to be looking at the uh, biblical understanding of enemies this morning, a biblical response to enemies, responding in love toward our enemies, and then a number of ways that Christ calls us to respond in application. Sometimes we can be our own worst enemies. Am I right? It's amazing to me how quickly the enemy in our lives can reduce us to the most common sinner. The enemy wants us off our game and out of fellowship with the Lord and others. Remember that. Let me begin with a personal testimony. This is a story that occurred a few years back. It was very close by at Winchester Country Club, and it's a personal testimony of sin and pride in my own life. You see, it was weeks and months before I was to become an elder at uh, FCF, and I, I can remember it. it was a beautiful summer day. It was midweek. Um, I was playing golf with my son, Will, and we were just having a great time. How many of you play golf here? It's not fun. If, yeah, it's not, it's not fun. <laughs> it's a hard game. But uh, I was having a good time, and uh, uh, this particular day I was uh, filled with the Spirit. I had love and joy and peace, gentleness, patience, and self-control, as you would expect. <laughs> uh, <laughs> oh, boy, this is embarrassing. Um, <clears throat> So um, I realized that day that I should have set a guard over my mouth. You ever have a day like that? Um, a very zealous greenskeeper came, and he was following uh, us for a couple holes, and he seemed agitated as we drove through the fairways. The guy really loved his lawn. I mean, how many of you love your lawns? Yeah, it's, it's pretty special. So... We were uh, playing golf, we went to the tee box, and I noticed this man looking at me angrily. I don't know why a greenskeeper would look at me angrily, I'm just gonna hit the ball. And he gets in our cart, he's about 40 yards away, and he's looking at me like, I'm, I'm gonna get you back, because I drove on the fairway. And um, I looked at him, and I thought, man, that is weird. Then he walked off, so we hit our drives, we went back to the golf cart, and uh, it appeared that he took the key out of our cart. How would you respond to that? I'm a member of this golf course. I was, I was so filled with the spirit at that moment, okay? But I lost it, okay? I was the boy next door turned into an angry man, okay? Uh, what would you do? So I got on the phone. I dialed what I thought was the clubhouse, and I started to yell at the attendant. Who is this attendant? He took the key out of our cart. That, that's unbelievable. And as it turns out, as I'm listening to the other person, I find out that it was the secretary at Foothill Christian Fellowship. <laughs> um, so the Lord wanted to humble me. So I proceeded to hang up the phone because I'm so full of pride. I gathered my composure and I called her back and I said, listen, I was that person who, uh, who hung up and I was the one that yelled at you and I'm so sorry. I, f I felt so humiliated. <laughs> Have you ever done something stupid like that? None of you, that's great. <laughs> I felt so unqualified to come to church the next week. I just thought, what a hypocrite. But uh, God in his mercy forgave me 
that person, that secretary is not here any longer because she left because of that. <laughs> she, she actually left for different reasons. But the, the cool thing is that she loved me. She blessed me. She prayed for me. She actually, every time I'd see her and her husband, she said, are you going to yell at me? That was, that was beautiful. Maybe we could do that with our enemies, people that are yelling at us. So that was my story of embarrassment. I have many others. For some reason, I've been given many opportunities. But I realized that day why out-of-control anger could be defined as an emotional punishment we give ourselves for someone else's behavior. Think about that. How many of us get angry when our enemies come at us? And our enemies can be all kinds of people, as we'll see in our message today. It's emotional punishment we give ourselves for someone else's behavior. It's the mercy of God that allows me to stand before you today. So let's look at the scene in Luke. Open your Bibles to Luke 6, 27 to 36, where Jesus continues his sermon on the mount. Imagine Jesus is here right now with us, and he's speaking to you as he's speaking to this crowd. And he's looking at the disciples, and he's trying to tell them, hey, this is how we are to live if you're going to follow me, you have to deny yourself. You have to do things that are different than the world. He was teaching about how his followers should live in contrast to the world. He contrasts two kinds of people. People who suffer for his sake and have blessing and the people who live for themselves and ultimately come to an unhappy end. These are the verses prior to verse 27 to 36. Jesus continues his teaching about what people of God do and how they are to act. So if you're wondering this morning, how, how are we to respond to our enemies, Jesus tells us. He shows us, his disciples, the eternal perspective of relationships. Think about your enemies in your life. Two things are eternal, right? Relationships and God's word. God wants us to honor those. I don't care if it's your father, your mother, your cousin, your employee, it doesn't matter. God cares about those relationships. And Jesus is trying to say, even with our enemies, he wants us to love them. He wants the, us to care for them, to pray for them, to bless them. We're going to see in Scripture today. In our text, Jesus calls us to obey one of the hardest commandments in Scripture. Have you ever thought of that? How hard is it to obey God in everything? Most of us would say, well, I want to obey God. But how many of us really obey this command? So you might ask, why would I bring out this text? I'll tell you later. Let's, let's read the text. Verse 27 to 36. But to you who are listening, I say, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. If someone slaps you on the cheek, turn to them the other also. If someone takes your coat, do not withhold your shirt from them. Give to everyone who asks, and if anyone takes what belongs to you, do not demand it in back. Excuse me, it back. Do to others as you would have them do to you. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. And if you lend to those whom you expect repayment, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners, expecting to be repaid in full. But love your enemies. Jesus is saying that this morning. But love your enemies. Do good to them. Lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great. And you will be the children of the Most High because he is kind to the ungrateful and wicked. Be merciful just as your Father is merciful. May God bless the reading of his word. So for two months I've been contemplating this passage. Wondering how could I deliver this message in good faith. Um, I can honestly say I've been searching my heart to see if these truths have been honored in my life. So you might ask, why would I take on a message that's this difficult? Is it, you're probably thinking it's because he's mastered loving enemies, right? You probably think that. That's not, that's not it. I can assure you of that. 
For some reason, by God's providence, I've had about 20 enemy situations in the last year. Some at the worst time when my sister was dying and and some other personal family issues. So when we're really weak, you want to retaliate even more. I can attest to that. But God, in his mercy and his grace, has shown me some things that we have to see this morning that I'm so excited to share. My problem is, as it relates to enemies, and maybe your problem as well, is I have too many expectations of people. I'm full of pride. I get disappointed too easily in the responses of others, and I need to remember how I've treated God with contempt, and yet he still loves me. As you were singing those songs this morning, it's hard not to have tears of gratitude for what God has done for us. I've been angry and ungrateful at times. I really want to change by God's grace. Maybe you can relate to this sentiment. So in the past year, for some reason, as God would have it, I've endured a number of attacks. And in many cases, I've not responded well. So I wanted God to know that I was listening this morning, and I trust him. Notice, look back at your passage. Notice the first part of this passage, it says today, but to you who are listening, Jesus wants anyone who calls himself a disciple of Christ to emulate him and obey this command. Another way of saying this is if you have ears to hear this morning, if you have spiritual discernment, he wants you to listen to this. There's a lot of messages you could just say, this is a really good message and just go home. This is one we need to apply. Because I believe if we could actually do this, if we could actually love our enemies, if we could take someone who has really hurt us badly and pray for them and bless them and do good to them and to not retaliate, and to have mercy upon them, wouldn't that change the world? Wouldn't that change our marriages? Wouldn't it change our relationship with our kids? I believe God is going to call us to that this morning. After much study and contemplation, I'm very encouraged by what the Lord has shown me. I trust that God will show you his will for your life as it relates to your enemies. I preach primarily today to myself, and I trust and pray that I'll be faithful to the Lord and to the text. So in my research, I I looked at a number of texts about enemies, over 30 texts that I found. And in every situation, I found a surprising theme. What stood out to me was something most of us do not do naturally. What I found was contrary to human nature and human logic. Bottom line is that Jesus requires a supernatural response to our enemies. Think about it when you encounter an enemy. Do you want to hang out with them? Or would you rather ignore them and maybe avoid them? Do you love them? Do you like them? Do you hate them? Well, we'll see in some of these verses that I'll bring up uh, here in a moment what God has to say for us this morning. We are not called to do what comes naturally, but supernaturally. Jesus is calling us to action instead of avoidance. Transparency and authenticity instead of blocking. How many of you have phones that you can block people? I didn't know we could do this until this last year. I needed to block somebody. Uh, so, now I didn't block them to be mean. I just, man, I just couldn't handle it. It was just too much. Christ is not calling us to block people this morning. Let's look at a few scriptures on the screen here. Um, So I can't read on the side, so I'm going to read straight up, okay? Uh, You can read along with me. 1 John 4, 7. These are just a few of the 20 that I found Uh, We are to love one another. Love is from God, and whoever loves is born of God and knows God. Think about that. If you're going to love your enemies, and if an enemy sees you love them back, they're going to see God in you. Whoa. That's an incredible thought. 1 Corinthians 14, 16. Well, just just above that, we see evidence in this verse of 1 John 4, 7, that if we love others, we show others we know God. Have you ever been in the presence of somebody you know they've been with God. There's something about them. 
There's a calm and a peace in circumstances that would not normally result in calm and peace. How about 1 Corinthians 14, 16? This one, man, we're coming into the holidays. This is like, how many of you just love holidays, right? They're stressful. It's a time for this verse. Look at this verse. 1 Corinthians 14, 16. Let all you do be done in love. Man, that, that should just be over our, the mantle of our fireplace, uh, the doorsteps, whatever. That should be what we're about. Proverbs 24, 17. Do not rejoice when your enemy falls. Do not be glad when they stumble. 1 Corinthians 4, 12 to 13. When reviled, we are to bless. When persecuted, we endure patiently. And then Proverbs, I, there was a typo there. It's actually 16, 7. When a man's ways please the Lord, even his enemies will be at peace with him. Think about that. How would you like your enemies to be at peace with you? What would that look like? Maybe they wouldn't yell at you so much and send you emails that make you upset. That'd be pretty nice. To be honest, I've resorted to anger and avoidance with many of the enemies that I've faced. I'm learning how to love the way Jesus loves. So how does he love? With patience and understanding and without expectations. You see, it's the expectations we have about others that can really get to us. Anger is not a great response. Instead of responding in anger and putting up walls in our relationships, Christ called his disciples to actively deny ourselves and respond in radical ways that magnify the character of our Father in heaven. In a word, to respond in love. Doesn't that seem impossible? It does. Well, I've got hope for you. We'll continue on here. The world tells us to self-protect. Think about all the psycho babble that's out there on Instagram. There's just all these little snippets. And you can start to think, yeah, I'm going to block people. I'm going to set boundaries. I'm going to just, like, tell people just to stay away from me. That sounds, you know... In, in some circumstances, we need to do that, certainly, and I'm not going to get into that today. But the world tells us we need to self-protect and set boundaries. Jesus calls us to vulnerability and ways to respond that are not possible without the work of the Holy Spirit. The world says it's okay to hate your enemy and to get even in the here and now instead of acknowledging that God says, vengeance is mine, I will repay. How many of you would like to say that? I, I I wish I could say that. God said that. So a lot of you guys are probably a lot like me. Maybe you ladies are like this, but for some reason we like payback movies. How many guys like payback movies? Okay. So the movie Taken is one of my favorites, uh, Liam Neeson. I just I wish I could say this, but I'm going to just do my best to be Liam Neeson. So his daughter is abducted. How many of you fathers, you would, you would act, right? Your, your daughter's taken away, and he's on the phone with the abductor, and he says this, I don't have money, but what I do have is a particular set of skills. Skills I've acquired over a long career. Skills that make me a nightmare for people like you. Doesn't that just, come on, <laughs> sounds Awesome. If you let my daughter go, there'll be nothing that will happen. That'll be the end of it. However, if you don't, I will look for you. I will find you. And I will kill you. Wow. <laughs> Can you imagine that? That is pure vengeance. And for some reason, we love that. Okay, and I don't mean that I love to kill people or that you do. But we love justice, right? There's something about those movies that... That, man, we love it when the bad guy gets taken down, right? One day, God's going to take down the bad guy. One day, God is going to have his way with this world, this sick world that we're in. Maybe you're like me. You want to retaliate and get even. Jesus, this morning, is a demonstrate for us a different response than the world by showing the mercy and loving kindness of our Father. So how about you? How do you respond when you're reviled by a loved one? Think about it. This is not just a message for me. What do you think? 
I'm going to go a little slower so you have to think about it. Think about that family member. Think about that wife or husband that gets you upset. That son or daughter, those in-laws, that employee, that employer. We all have people that are difficult. Maybe it's a spouse or your child. Um, How do we respond to insults, to reviling, when people don't meet our expectations? Tough question. Isn't it natural to want to retaliate? We all need a new perspective on how to handle our enemies in our lives. If we Christians could live out the commands described in Scripture toward our enemies, the world would be a better place. I'm convinced of that. Our marriages and our family life could be more God-honoring. The workplace would be revolutionized if we were able to honor these commands and apply Christ's example to love our enemies. Few things in life can be more crushing than being reviled by an enemy in our lives. How many of you have been crushed by someone? Raise your hands. A lot of you. It's a fact of life. We're going to be crushed by those closest to us. Well, I have encouragement for you this morning. The enemy of our soul wants to crush us and discourage us at every opportunity. Think about that. That's the name of the game, to discourage us, to get us out of our game, to get us off of our focus on Christ. So we have to look at Christ. We have to see, for example, in Isaiah 53, the response of Jesus as the suffering servant. Listen to this. These are words that should penetrate and make us see what Christ is to his enemies. He was despised and forsaken of men, a man of sorrows acquainted with grief. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. How's that possible? Like a lamb that is led to slaughter and like sheep that is silent before his shears. So he did not open his mouth. There was no deceit in his mouth, Scripture says. Isaiah 53, 10 says that it was the Lord's will to crush our Savior and cause him to suffer. It was the Lord that makes his life an offering for our sin. When Christ was reviled, he did not revile in return. In Christ, we have the greatest example of how to love our enemies this morning. He set the example to follow and how to live. Jesus is asking us today not to just be hearers, but to be doers of the word. He calls us to listen today and to act like him. So let me ask you this. Are you listening? Have you ever considered that when you're being crushed by your enemies, that God has a higher purpose in all the pain and suffering that a family member that has hurt you? Could it be that God wants to bless us in our suffering? Could it be that God wants to use our enemies in our lives to be more acquainted with the weaknesses and sufferings of Christ? Is it possible that God wants enemies to cause us to decrease so that God would increase in our lives? I think it is. Will we rise up in anger and hatred and bitterness toward those who hurt us Or will we bless those who curse us? Will we revile those who revile us? Or will we bless them instead and refuse to retaliate? Our Lord gives us much encouragement in the pages of Scripture as we face our enemies in our lives. Our Lord is sufficient. Turn to 2 Corinthians 12, verse 9 and 10. You could follow with me. Just by way of example, as we get closer to our text, I know we're still in the introduction. It won't go an hour. Uh, The introduction is just about 25 minutes, so uh, bear with me. So Paul here, he's dealing with the same thing, right? He has enemies. Of all the people in the Bible, we could look at Paul as a great example. How did he respond? What was his attitude toward enemies? Paul helps us understand this perspective. In 2 Corinthians 12, verses 9 and 10, he says, "'My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is perfected in weakness.'" Therefore, we should boast all the more gladly about our weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses. I delight in insults. I delight in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, I am strong. But Jesus doesn't leave us here. 
If we go back to what was read earlier, Matthew 5, 10 to 12, recorded on the Sermon of the Mount, should be very encouraging for us today. Listen what, to what is Jesus said to us. Blessed are you who are persecuted because of righteousness, for yours is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. We gotta slow down here. How is that possible? He says we're blessed when people insult you and persecute you. Why would he say that? Why would Jesus say that? He says we're blessed when people falsely accuse you and say all kinds of evil things against you because of me. He goes on to say that we should rejoice and be glad when we encounter enemies. Why should we rejoice? When we demonstrate the love of Christ to our enemies, it stores up great rewards for us in heaven. Think about that. That's amazing. There's rewards for us in, in heaven by the way that we engage with our enemies. It honors God as we honor him. You'll be sharing in the sufferings of Christ and the prophets who were proclaiming Jesus. Maybe we need to see our conflicts and our pain from our enemies in a different way this morning. Perhaps God wants to put Christ on display in your life. In no better way in this world than when you're facing an impossible situation. Is it possible we could memorize this verse in Psalm 39.1, which says, I will watch my ways and keep my tongue from sin. I will put a muzzle over my mouth as long as the wicked are in my presence. And that's a powerful verse. Psalm 39.1. Very wise words. How many of you like root beer? Okay, so we got A&W root beer. Okay, we got some A.W. Tozer. Let's, let's put A.W. Tozer up there. So wait, that's just to wake you up. You guys, I saw you guys sleeping a little bit. So let's read this quote. This one is worthy of listening to. It's doubtful, A.W. Tozer said, whether God can bless a man greatly until he has hurt him deeply. Enemies can hurt us. Our families can hurt us. We can hurt ourselves. God actually rises up storms of conflict in relationships at times in order to accomplish that deeper work in our character. Now, this was written many years ago. I did not, like, plan this, okay? This ties right into our message. We cannot love our enemies in our own strength, he says. This is graduate-level grace. So the question this morning, in addition to whether or not you're listening, is are you ready? Are you willing to enter the school? Are you willing to take the test? If you pass, you can expect to be elevated to a new level in the kingdom, for he brings us through these tests as preparation for greater use in the kingdom. You must pass the test first. Thank you. So this morning we're looking at some of the most difficult passages Jesus called his disciples to obey. Commands like Matthew 5.44, which I just read earlier about loving your enemies and praying for those who persecute you. So he wants our response to change. And God wants us to show the world who he is through our example. One of the things that you'll see as we move through this message is Jesus is calling us to action and not avoidance. It is not our normal response to move toward our enemies. We want to move away. So he's calling us to move toward them. So let's look at the biblical, biblical definition of enemies. <clears throat> so we have a couple uh, verses on our slide uh, for enemies. Psalm 109, 1 to 5. My God whom I praise, do, my, do not be silent for people who are wicked and deceitful Deceitful have opened their mouths against me. They have spoken against me with lying tongues, with words of hatred they surround me. Does that sound like some of your enemies? They attack me without cause. In return for my friendship, they accuse me, but I am a man of prayer. They repay evil for good and hatred for my friendship. 
Another verse on enemies. Psalm 36, 1 to 4. I have a message from God in my heart concerning the sinfulness of the wicked. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Think about that. If you have an enemy attacking you, there's no fear of God before their eyes. We need to show them God. We need to show them what God is like. He goes on to say, in their own eyes they flatter themselves too much to detect or hate their sin. The words of their mouth are wicked and deceitful. They fail to act wisely or do good. Even on their beds they plot evil. They commit themselves to a sinful course and do not reject what is wrong. That's a good description of an enemy. The Holman Bible Dictionary describes an enemy as an adversary, a foe, a hater, one who dislikes or hates another and seeks to harm someone, an individual opponent or possibly a hostile force, a nation or an army. I think we all know what enemies are. But it is interesting to see the Greek and Hebrew. Uh, there's several Hebrew words that render enemy in the Old Testament. In the New Testament, ekthros is the word. It's used as one word for enemy, and it's simply enemy. Enemy. Uh, in the New Testament, enemy most often re refers to one's personal enemies. For the nation of Israel was no longer uh, a force on the political scene. But it's also used of strangers and foreigners in general. Many in the audience that Jesus is speaking to believed it was permissive to hate your enemies. In Judaism, one's neighbor was some, someone that with similar beliefs, not one with opposed or that were hostile. In some movements in Judaism, the exact opposite was instructed, as at Qumran, where the right to hate one's religious foes was a given. Jesus was speaking against this misunderstanding in Matthew 5:43, where he said, You have heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Much like Jesus explained the Ten Commandments, if you think about thou shalt not murder, right? He said, well, if you just hate someone, you're murdering them. Or if you lust upon another person, that's committing adultery. We see the same thing here with, with loving our enemies. <clears throat> Jesus is taking it to a, a greater level. He's explaining what the love of our enemies looks like. So let's get into our text. Verse 27 says, But to you who are listening, love your enemies and do good to those who hate you. Notice in each of these verses, Jesus encourages us to take action toward love. In the Greek, these commands to love are in the active voice and not the passive voice. How many of you would rather be passive with your enemies? You know, it... It's avoiding conflict. That's a wise thing, right? Someone taught me recently that there's good conflict. You ever think about that? There's good conflict. Sometimes you need to address a problem, and you need to see conflict as something that you shouldn't avoid. But we avoid it because it's painful. So Christ is calling us, and when we see the word love here, we're talking about an active love. He calls us to respond in love toward our enemies. What kind of love is Jesus demonstrating? The kind of love that Jesus is calling us here to is the type of love that Christ had for us. While we were yet enemies, while we were sinners, Christ died for us. While we were spitting in his face, while we were beating him, and I don't mean us personally, but all of us have sinned and gone our way, right? Each of us could take part in what we see in Scripture about the enemies of, of Christ. This is a command to love that's emphatic. It's not a suggestion. So this morning when you hear, love your enemies, it's not like, yeah, try and love them. It's an emphatic command. He wants us to be active in our love toward our enemies, to love like he does, to show the world his character. Think about that. How do we show the world Christ's character? When Jesus said, love your enemies, he was using the word that's used to describe love, uh, the love of us, which is agape. Jesus is using a present active imperative of agape to mean that we are actively, intentionally, continuously loving people. Man, that's hard. How do you actively, lovingly, continuously love your family? 
You might be thinking, am I talking about my family? I love my family. I love all my kids. I love my grandkids. Yesterday we went to the pumpkin patch in Wheatland. It was the best time. I got to hold Riley. She was screaming the whole time. My back hurts. We ate all kinds of great food. I had this bagel dog. I'm feeling it this morning, but it was awesome, okay? (laughs) But really, I mean, family is, is, is tight. It's hard. There's sometimes people don't like what you eat. Some people don't say the right things in your family. Maybe they're tired. Maybe they give you the silent treat. I mean, there's all kinds of family situations. We're coming into Thanksgiving, so what a great opportunity to love our enemies, right? Not that our families are enemies, but it can be a challenge, right? I mean, look, there's a lot of people out there. I can tell you guys would be very challenging to have dinner with. (laughs) There are several words for love in the Greek language. You guys have heard a lot of those, eros, and, and, uh, which is a romantic love, uh, philea, uh, the love of friendship. Um, there's other ways that God could describe this, but he used agape. And the reason is that this is a love that's not, mer- this is not motivated by merit of the one who's loved. Think about that. You don't love people because of what they do. This kind of love is saying you love them because of what I did, what Christ did for you. Whoa, that's crazy. Do we think that? I don't think that. Christ died for you because you hated him. I hated him. He wants us to love people not because of what they do and how they do that. It's it's those expectations, right, that get us in trouble in marriage And in family, we expect people to be on time. We expect people to bring the right food and the right amount of food. We, you know, there's all kinds of dumb expectations we have, right? God's calling us to love that's not motivated by merit of the one who is loved. The other loves come quite naturally, but agape love does not come naturally. It's a deliberate love. It's rooted in the will. It's a love by choice. One author describes this agape love as a deep, continuous, growing, and ever-renewing activity of the will superintended by the Holy Spirit. Man, we need that. It's an agape love that says, I love this person because by God's grace, I choose to love this person. Is God calling us this morning to like our enemies? What do you think? Do you see like in any of those passages? It's hard to like somebody. That's difficult, right? But God calls us to love them, which is also difficult, but in the spirit, it's possible. It must be. This call to ascend is uh, an ascend, ascending to unnatural heights of agape love. Uh, it's defined by Jesus in the commands in this passage. This love is not ordinary. It is difficult, and it is superior It's appropriate for a disciple who's experienced God's forgiveness. Think about that. If you've been forgiven, can you forgive somebody else that's hurt you? What about somebody that hurt your daughter or your son or your wife? I could tell you stories. Man, you want to talk about getting angry, you mess with our family, right? That's that's natural. This love that Jesus is calling calling us to is not natural. But it's appropriate for a disciple, a Christ follower, experienced with God's forgiveness. It's an extraordinary love that does not keep a record of wrongs. How many of us have enemies and they did like ten things to us? Right? We remember all ten things. So this is a a love that's patient and kind. It does not encounter a wrong suffered. It doesn't envy. It doesn't boast. It's not proud. It does not dishonor others. It's not self-seeking. It's not easily angered. This love does not delight in evil, but it rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. And this kind of love never fails. Man, that's, that's awesome. I want that kind of love. It never fails when it comes to our enemies. Notice again, Jesus is calling us in verse 27. Look at your text. He's calling the audience listeners. Jesus is not just stressing that we need to hear this message. 
but the importance of responding to it. Jesus expects us to hear this message today and apply it. Our passage continues on in verse 27. Look at your text. He pretty much starts here. So love should be the premise with our enemies. So how do we love? Normally at the end of a message, you do the application. Well, Jesus does it for us. We're going to see ways in which we can put love into action. So the first one is do good to those who hate you. How easy is that? Think about that. Immediately when someone does something, says something, and you're hurt, do you immediately think, oh, I'm going to do good to them? No, that's supernatural. We're to respond with goodness instead of evil. That seems impossible. When does, what does Jesus mean by doing good? I think we need to look at this a little closer. God is merciful and kind. He's always seeking our good. Think about God and how he intercedes for us. He's always seeking our good. He's commanding us to love like he does. We're to respond with the best interests of that other person at heart. To look past the offense and desire good for their soul. This is what Jesus does for us. We're to be filled with loving kindness and gentleness and patience toward those who hurt us. Christ demonstrated this on the cross, didn't he? While his enemies were cursing him and mocking him, he said, forgive them, Lord, for they do not know what they're doing. Or we, we have the account of Stephen, right? He's being stoned. We have rocks being poured upon you. And, you know, imagine yourself, somebody throwing huge rocks at you. Are you thinking about the other person at that point? I'd just be thinking about defense, just, you know, putting my hands up, maybe do a Liam Neeson on him. I mean, come on, I will kill you, you know. <laughs> no, what does Stephen do? He says, forgive them, for they don't know what they do. That, that's other than worldly, you guys. If we could do this, we would change the world. We would change our families. We would change our marriages. We would change the workplace. Goodness toward others is impossible without Christ. So what about you? Are you able to be good to those who've done some really wrong things? If you're a believer, you need to. You must. God's calling us to that. That's exactly the point. He wants us to be other than worldly, demonstrating goodness instead of retaliation. Can you do this with your difficult family members? If Christ were right here today, how would you respond? If Jesus said, hey, would you love them for me? Would you remember what I did for you? More application of love goes on as we move on in our passage. Verse 28. Again, these are applications of love. <clears throat> Bless those who curse you. Jesus here is calling us to respond with blessing instead of cursing. When you're insulted and people lie about you or slander you, Jesus is saying we must not strike back. When people abuse you with their words or actions, we are to bless them. This is the idea of blessing that invokes God's favor on another person's behalf. So if somebody curses you, it's not like the Psalms where David has those imprecatory prayers where he's cursing the, his enemies. He's calling us, Jesus is calling us today to find favor uh, with God, to ask for favor on that person's behalf. Our inborn sense of justice, coupled with our prideful desire to punish our offender, prompts us to retaliate, returning hurt for hurt, insult for insult. Jesus calls us to respond differently. We can speak blessing instead of cursing. Proverbs 18.21 says, Death and life are in the power of the tongue. Think about that. Put a muzzle over your mouth. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. And they that love shall eat of the fruit thereof. Proverbs 16.24 says, Pleasant words are as the honeycomb, sweet to the soul, and health to our bones. Jesus is telling us to bless with our words and our thoughts to those who curse us. To see the soul of a person. It's possible this person is really struggling that's, that's hating you or cursing you. Maybe, maybe they're dealing with some pain 
that we can't understand. It's possible they've had difficult trials in their lives and they're looking for someone to show them the love of Christ. Jesus responded to the souls of his accusers. He calls us to bless instead of curse. This is supernatural. 1 Corinthians, uh, excuse me, 1 Peter, if you could turn there. 1 Peter 2, chapter 2, verses 21 to 23. 1 Peter 2, 21 to 23. It says, Jesus was reviled. And he reviled not in return. When he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself to the one that judges rightly or righteously. Who himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree that we, being dead to sins, should live righteously. God will settle, settle the matters that trouble your souls. He will right all the wrongs one day. Do you believe that today? God will have vengeance. God will make those relationships right one day. We're just commanded to do certain things. So we're called to love. We're called to do good. And our text goes on, uh, gives us another way to love, and that is to pray for those who mistreat us. Jesus is calling us to respond with prayer instead of having contempt. Intercession to God for those that hurt us is the highest form of love. Think about that. Let's say you are really struggling with somebody. You can still pray for them. You can intercede for them and ask God to change them. You can ask God to, to move them from that place of anger and bitterness. This is the kind of tough love that the Lord is asking us to emulate. It requires dependence on God who saved you when you were his enemy. He interceded for us, so we must intercede for others. The idea here is not prayers of retaliation uh, of God that he might kill them. It is a prayer that looks past the offense and prays for the good of the offender. When we begin to pray for our enemies, God will begin to change our cold-hearted hearts and bring us in line with his will. To have the heart of humility as Jesus did who emptied himself in Philippians 2. Think about Philippians 2. Here's the God of the universe, and he says, I'm, I'm just going to empty myself and become a man, and he becomes a servant to us. He came to serve. He's a suffering servant. You can look through Philippians 2. We're to do nothing out of selfish ambition or empty conceit. Rather, in humility, we're to value others highly, more highly than ourselves, not looking out for our own interests, but for each of you to look out for the interests of others. If Christ did that, he's calling us to do that as his followers. So are we going to respond like the world today to our enemies? Or will we love them with goodness, with blessing, and prayer for them? Can you see that Jesus is not asking us to merely have a high moral ground when it comes to loving our enemies? but to stoop down in humility like the Lord did for each one of us. That's Philippians 2. He stooped down. These are not moral platitudes that Christ is calling us to, but ways in which Jesus wants us to respond so that the world would know that Jesus is for real, that he is the real God, that he is the one that every knee will bow to and every nung, excuse me, every... Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. See, I, I, my, I had a tongue twister there. Did you see that? Um, so he's calling us to some difficult things. Uh, it gets tougher. Uh, I'm going to continue on here in our passage. Verse 29, let's read along. If someone slaps you on one cheek, turn to them the, also, the other also. In the Jewish culture, if someone slapped a person with the back of their hand, they were shaming them and despising them like if someone spat in your face. When reviled, Jesus says, do not revile in return. If someone takes your coat, do not withhold your shirt from them. Give to everyone who asks of you. And if anyone takes what belongs to you, do not demand it in back, but do unto others as you would have them do to you. Here we see Jesus is commending us to respond with generosity toward our enemies. Now time out a second. Okay. So Jesus said we're to do good, we're to pray for them, we're to bless our enemies, and now you're saying I got to be 
generous? How many of you kind of think that, like, wait a minute. Is this really here? He wants us to be generous to those that are our enemies. How easy is that to do? How many of us, it's even hard just to be generous to your friends or your family, right? I mean, I mean, we, you know, we have needs. We have, I have bills to pay. Why? If God calls you to do that, if he calls you to give to somebody, if there's somebody in need, he wants you to loosen your pocketbook to show him that he's your God and money's not your God. He calls us to generosity. It's a supernatural generosity. When people take from you, your natural response is, is it to want to give? Jesus is saying, no, I want you to have supernatural generosity. Maybe it would be our time. Sometimes we don't have money. Um, like right now, I have zero money, absolutely nothing in my pockets. Jordan Brown's been working for him. I gave him all my cash this morning. So I'm broke, so don't ask me for money. But sometimes we don't have money, right? But we have talents. Maybe we have some gifts and abilities. Maybe you know about real estate or you know about construction or you know about electrical things. We all have ways we can give to someone. How humbling would it be for an enemy for you to come fix an electrical switch if you're an electrician or someone that comes and helps you with your roof or helps split wood for you? All these ways, they're not hard, but we do those things to our friends, right? Could you do it? If Jesus asked you, could you consider doing that to your enemies, to people that have despised you? What message would that send? Are you kidding me? You're going to split my wood? I just beat you over the head with words, and you don't have to say a word. I mean, the splitter's really loud, too. You just, you just do your thing and show the love of Christ. So Jesus is commending us to respond with generosity toward our enemies. The golden rule, you've heard of that. It's in this passage. Do unto others as you would have them to do to you. It's interesting, the golden rule existed before Jesus flips it in this passage. This general rule existed in the negative sense in the rabbinic writings, in Greek philosophy and Hinduism and even Buddhism. These formulations were cast in a negative sense. They advocate not doing to others what you would not want them to do to you. Think about that. That's a lot different than what Jesus is saying here. He's, that's simply human ethics and not active love. These are merely self-serving expressions of self-love concerned primarily with obtaining good treatment for oneself in return. No, Jesus is saying something different here. He says... He wants you to have a selfless love, a love that focuses solely on the well-being of its object. This is a love that is self-sacrificial without expectations. It's how God loves us and how Christians are to be different as our passage continues. Look at verse 32. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? For the sake of time, bottom line in this last section is... We are to love without expectations. God is calling us in the, the balance of this passage to respond with forgiveness instead of retaliation. He's, to, he's asking us to respond without expectations. How many of us have enemies and we're expecting them to make the first move? Right? We're like, okay, if that person says something to me, finally, I'll, okay, I'll respond. That's not what God's saying. He's saying, go, be the one. Don't retaliate, but forgive. Respond without expectations. Finally, the last couple verses, be merciful just as your Father is merciful. Respond with mercy as God has shown you mercy. So now we come to our conclusion. That's a lot. God is calling us to do one of the hardest things that we can imagine in Scripture, right? Is that, is that hard? Does that sound like that's going to be easy for you to walk out of here and apply this message? No, it's impossible. It's impossible. As it relates to our enemies, Jesus wants us to listen to what he's saying in this passage. He wants us to respond in active love, to respond with goodness and blessing, with prayer, to respond with forgiveness and generosity, to respond without expectations, finally to respond with mercy 
Why? He wants us to reflect the image of God. If we're the mirror to the world, if we're the mirror to our families, we don't act like the world. We act like our Father who's in heaven. That's what we're called to do. Now, that's pretty easy to do when someone doesn't take your golf cart, right? I mean, that would just frustrate. All. Even if you don't golf, you'd be upset, I guarantee it. If you can't drive back to the clubhouse, it's three miles away, you'd be upset. So God is calling us to bless, to respond with prayer, to respond with forgiveness, to respond with generosity, without expectations, and finally to respond with mercy uh, and Hear the, the words of the Lord today and do them. That's what Jesus is saying. So let me ask you a question in closing while the music team comes forward. Are you willing to reconsider how you've treated your enemies in your life after hearing this message today? Think about that. Is this going to be one of those messages where you say, eh, that was pretty good. You know, it seemed like it was pretty true. It seemed like there were some good verses but that's impossible. Are we going to do that? Are you going to go home? Because you know who your difficult situations are. So do I. Are we going to go home and just forget about this? We need to repent today that we do that often. We need to ask God to forgive us for not even seeing this. We have a better understanding today of what an enemy looks like and how we are to respond. So how do we actually do it? This sounds impossible. So, I'm doing okay on time. I got a couple more. A couple more minutes. I'm going to end with another enemy story, okay? It's just a couple minutes, but this one out of 20, I actually did something well, okay? So, there's hope, okay? So, this situation, I won't name names, but it was a neighbor. How many of you have neighbors that maybe hate you when you cut a tree down or they hate you when you park a car in front of their place. Well, I had an interesting enemy situation uh, about a year ago. Um, owned this property around the corner from my house for uh, about 15 years. I'd been maintaining it for a number of years. I was doing a Perkin Mantle test. I had the Perkin Mantle vendor. I had the, the uh, Meta Vista Water Company and I had another consultant. I'm standing there ready to dig a pit so that we could see if we had the ability to build a house. Pretty simple. And all of a sudden, a neighbor comes. I didn't know this neighbor. This was a new neighbor, relatively new, like two years. Okay? We've been there over 20 years. And this person starts yelling at me. And I'm talking yelling. You have no right. And I'm just going, what's going on here? I don't know. I don't know what's going on. So what did I do? What do you think I did? I stopped, and I, I looked at those three people. I wanted to respect their time. I said, I don't know what's going on. This person, I don't even know who they are, but I'm going to go deal with it. I'm going to take her over here. So I took this person off to the side, and I started to speak quietly because they were yelling. Have you ever had somebody yelling at you? Speak softly because then they have to listen to you, right? So I started speaking to her, and I said, Okay, I, I've got these people over here. I need, I need to, what's going on? What's the problem? And this person said, you have no right to bring that tractor on this property. There's an easement here. And I said, okay, but you're yelling at me. You're my neighbor. Why don't you hug me? <laughs> I have no idea why I said that. I made her hug me. Okay, it was a woman. And she was pretty mean. But I don't think she knew what to do with that. She hugged me. She hugged me, and then I stopped, and I said, listen, I've, I, I must have hurt you. There's got to be. There's no way you're going to yell at me to that level uh, for tractor work. She goes, yeah, you did. And then I listened. I thought, okay, I need to confess my sin before this person. She said two things. I didn't come to an owner's association meeting. She was upset with me about that. Oh, my goodness. Uh, that was one. And the other one was somebody in front of her property that I had as a vendor parked in front of her, right in front of her property. Those were the two things. And I looked at her and I said, I'm really sorry. And I hope you'll forgive me. And she, she moved on. Within a few months, I became the president of that owner's association. And now she has to come to our owner's association meetings. 
and I have more opportunities, honestly, to, to bless her. Uh, recently asked if we could weed eat some of her area. I mean, I'm, I'm not saying it to make me look good. I don't like this person, okay? She's not likable, but I'm going to love her. I'm going to love her as we close. Go ahead. So uh, in closing, let us repent of our selfish pride. And let's show the world the character of God. In one of the most difficult circumstances we can encounter dealing with our enemies. May we as Christians show the world what the character of God is like. We serve a God who is full of loving kindness, of mercy, gentleness, and forgiveness. When we encounter an enemy, see to it as an opportunity to love like Jesus loves us, to share the gospel with your enemies no matter how difficult and how ugly they may be. Because by the grace of God, there go I. Thank you this morning for paying attention. You're dismissed.